A number of people come to Europe, and specifically the Czech Republic, inspired by various things. Some of us have Czech ancestry, not me, but some. Other people might be inspired because of a book or a movie. My two guests today were inspired by books. Today I'm speaking with Melissa Jolwan and David Humphreys, two Americans now living in Prague. Melissa is an author and they are both hosts and writers for the Strong Sense of Place podcast, a travel and literature podcast that they do out of their home here in Prague. Hello, Mel and David. How are you? Hello. Hi, how are you? Thanks for thanks for having us. Thank you for being on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what we do, you can buy me a coffee through our Buy Me a Coffee page. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. So, Mel and David, uh, the podcast is called Strong Sense of Place. And right off the bat, I got to say, it's a great title. Uh, thanks. The goal is to basically kind of talk about books that give you a sense of a particular location, I guess. Yeah. Yes. It came about because obviously we like to travel. <laughs> And generally, when you ask someone for a book recommendation, because you're going somewhere, they hand you a travel book, which is usually nonfiction or a memoir. And if you go looking for novels set in places, which I really love to read, and we can talk about that, like David tends toward nonfiction usually, and I tend more toward the fiction side of the world. I couldn't find a place that was curating recommendations for books with strong settings. You can find massive lists on the internet, but it was really hard to find someone who was actually reading them and saying, yes, this one actually will give you a sense of the place as opposed to just saying it's set there, but the story could really be set anywhere. So I started thinking about that and thought, well, we could do that. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, the idea started out as doing a, a website. And at some point we realized that it would be better as a podcast. And so we started the podcast and now the podcast has kind of taken over. Yeah. I kind of had this idea that it was going to be a massive website because our goal is to cover every country in the world. I'm old school. Dave and I have been working in the internet since the, the internet 90s. Started. Yeah. So I just had this idea of this massive website and you would have a page for every country. And on that page, it would have you know literary cafes and libraries and bookshops and book recommendations. And <laughs> yeah, we're building to that, but there was no way we were going to launch with that. Yeah, of course. And then you also have to keep uh, you have to keep abreast of, oh, shoot, that place went down and that place is closed and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
So you guys started this in January 2020, sort of a, I'm going to use the word auspicious, time to start a podcast that comes out of your home. There were rumblings in the news that uh, there was this uh, new uh, coronavirus, but I'm going to guess that it's just coincidental. You did not go, hey, man, something's happening in Wuhan. Let's get on the horn and start recording. (laughs) That is accurate. That is correct. We moved to Prague in 2017, and I'd kind of been working on this project since then in the background. Um, So it's been a long time in the making, and it just coincidentally got launched in January, and then we looked either very smart or prescient because suddenly armchair travel was really the only way anyone could travel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. Happy accident, I guess. Let's call it that. Happy is a weird. (laughs) word there but yeah so in your episode you you kind of set up the structure of the way that you are going to deal with the podcast and the basic structure is you talk for a little bit talk about the place uh maybe some personal things and then you kind of play this little game of two truths and a lie and then and then you recommend five books basically was that always the structure format or did you come up with that on the fly the first time you were scripting this out and then went actually let's just do that each time we talked a lot about the structure before we started so we kind of knew what we were getting into that very first podcast we actually say we're going to talk about the like memes of a particular place and then we scrapped that and just started introducing the place just as a 101 section just a little bit of you know frame building for the place that we're talking about in part because we didn't want to assume how much listeners know so we kind of introduce it a little bit talk about the language that's spoken there the people there there but we also try to touch on the culture and talk about the food and maybe movies set there and that kind of thing. And then as you say, we do the two truths and a lie, which is really an excuse for me to tell stories that I like about a particular place. Uh, and, And yeah, we get into the five books and it's frequently more than five. One of the reasons we felt like it was important to do a sort of 101 at the top of the episode is I grew up in rural Pennsylvania and my parents still live there. And when we moved here, the number of people who did not know where we were going when we said we were moving to Prague was shocking. And so we don't want to leave anyone behind. And there are certainly huge holes in my education and my understanding of geography and culture. So we kind of use it as an opportunity to remind ourselves of the place that we're talking about and also hopefully gently engage people's curiosity about places they don't know about and maybe never thought about traveling to. I kind of have the people I went to high school with in the back of my mind when we're doing this show. It's a strange experience doing this show because for about two weeks, we are fully immersed as much as we can be sitting here in our flat with our computers. We're fully immersed in one place for about two weeks. And we try to pump out as much of the cool stuff that we learn about it as we can. And then you have to kind of wipe it from your brain a little bit because you have to fill it up with the next destination. And some of it sticks, but it's a really interesting experience to kind of be like, I'm very hungry for Swedish meatballs right now. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm like, I need a Thai curry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're on a world tour and the destination changes every two weeks but we're not leaving our apartment. And so it's got that same vibe to it where we're seeing and learning all about this new place and then we're on to the next place. And Do you find you start getting uh, sort of travel fatigue uh, even though you're not actually traveling? 
I think it's the opposite. It's made me want to visit some places that had not been on my radar before. And it makes me very sad that we can't travel right now. Although I do get to the end of the season and I'm happy that my reading life is my own for a little while. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. There is that. Yeah, I've noticed you guys, you divide it up into seasons. You have what, 12 in a season? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you seem to take a break of a few months, which is smart. Yeah, we take a break to get away from deadlines for a little bit and to read books that don't necessarily fall into the strong sense of place category because we don't want to stop loving reading. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, the vast majority of the time I'm reading things that I would love to read anyway. But sometimes there's a book that comes along that I stick with because it is important for the show, not necessarily because I, as a human, would be reading that book. My taste tends towards um, mysteries and thrillers if I'm just reading to amuse myself. But part of this project is for us to also learn more about the world and to expand our empathy and fill in the holes of our personal experiences. So there are those books that you read that are very rewarding, but that I wouldn't necessarily have picked up if I was just going to kill a Saturday on my own. Yeah, it's like, it's pleasurable, but it's also work. I mean, the best kind of work, but yeah. (laughs) When you're choosing what books you're going to talk about. I'm going to assume that it sounds like, like Mel, you read that one. David, you read a different book. Like you guys aren't both like, okay, now we both are going to read this book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We tend to, when we are approaching a place, we will get together and talk about what we're sort of planning on reading for that place. And then as we read through them, some of them don't work out and we shift and make other plans. Um, But yeah, we don't both read the same book. And I try to be, I'm not going to speak for you, Dave. I try to be really deliberate when I'm choosing my books to just generally, I try to do a historical fiction if I can. I try to do something by an author from that destination if I can. Um, I try not to bring my preference for Gothic fiction and manor house stories into it too often, but sometimes I sneak them in. Um, But I'm trying to pick books from different genres, different time periods, different kinds of writing so that we can not only appeal to all different kinds of readers, but also introduce people to the kinds of books they might not pick up on their own, but could have a really rewarding experience if they step outside their comfort zone a little bit. But we're very picky about how much the setting plays into the story. It can't just, I was reading this book. I'm not going to say what book it was, but it was ostensibly set in a particular city. And it seems like the author thought all he had to do was put in specific street names and (laughs) that would ground it in that destination. And it was so flat and tedious. So I'm very picky about how much the setting plays into the story. I want that place to be a character as much as the characters or have some kind of influence on the action or this story can only take place in this specific location. So obviously you guys read a lot of books. Melissa, I know you're on Goodreads. 
David, are you on Goodreads or no? Do you use it or you don't use it? I don't use it. Ironically, I used it more when I was reading less. I used to have like a TBR list and now I've got like lists of lists. Yeah. Um, our book, our whole book tracking situation is massive. Yeah. Intense, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. We've actually gone nerdier than that in that we've created a sort of text-based database. We use a, just to really nerd out, we use an application called BB Edit, which is a text editor. Yeah, you could use any text editor. Yeah. And yeah. we have individual files for each country and each state in the United States. And when we come across a book or a library or a bookshop or, or recommendation. recommendation, literary cafe, something interesting happening in the world of writing, we dump it into the country page so that when we get to that country, we have everything in one place. So we have ridiculously long lists of possible books. But then when we get there, I look at that list and think, mm, what if there's something else? And then I go looking on, you know, Google and the internet and all these various places to yeah. see what's out there and what I think is, you know, readable and will will attract our audience and be interesting and have a strong sense of the thing. And yeah, is it, you know, also, can you get it like that kind of stuff? And then there's a list that falls out of that. And I parse that list into what I'm actually going to read. So it's, it's a thing. Yeah. How many books do you think you each read a year? Roughly. I read a little bit North of a hundred a year. So you're reading a book every three and a half days. Yeah, pretty much. And I really love cinder block books, like between five and 700 pages. I'm get really excited about it. So those are like reading two or three, depending. I really love because I feel like it slows the storytelling down a little bit and allows for side trips into characters' backstories. And I just really love that. Though, if you're if you're doing the Goodreads uh, annual reading challenge, uh, as my wife does, she gets very frustrated because she's like, man, I just read a 900-page book. It only counts as one? Now I got to read a short book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned Goodreads, my not very attractive secret is that the the primary reason I track my books on Goodreads is because I like to see how well I'm doing against my goal for the year because Goodreads tells you how ahead or behind you are. <laughs> because I keep a physical book journal where I write down the title and the author and where it was set and how many stars I gave it. But then of course, now we have our database where we keep notes for the show. So I don't really need a third way to track my reading, but the, you know, overachieving A plus student in me wants to see that list of books and see that I'm on track. I'm eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> Just put a, if you could put a gold star in my reading journal, then I might be able to stop using Goodreads. I think that's what Santa Claus needs to do uh, next year. <laughs> yeah, I can do that for you. There's an office supply store around the corner. I can get the full Every stars. week I just hand in my list of books that I read and you give me like a red check mark at the top that says very fine work. Yep. Perfect. Plus, plus. And then once in a while, just to make it seem authentic, you give her a silver star and then she argues with you about it. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> and then I cry <laughs> under my desk for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for setting that up, man. My blood ran cold when you said silver star. <laughs> How did you get interested in, because not everybody reads, you know, back in 1986, there was a rather comprehensive study done in the United States, uh, and it was estimated that approximately 6% of the adult population read for pleasure. 
Of those 6%, 80% read two books a year from the New York Times top 10 bestseller list. For a lot of people, reading is just like, they don't like it. Why are you guys so weird? <laughs> um, I come across it pretty naturally. My mom was a librarian and my dad was a lifelong cab driver, but he called himself the most educated cab driver in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he probably was. He would bring home stacks of magazines. That was sort of his his thing. He'd hit the newsstand back when we had newsstands and and bring home a, a whole bunch of stuff and and make a pile and and just go through that. Newspapers, magazines, that kind of thing. And I still I tend to read a lot of books, but I tend to follow sort of my dad's lead on on nonfiction and and non-required reading, I guess. For me, my my dad is a big reader, but he's one of those people that will just read whatever happens to be lying around which for me is, that's a weird thing for me. (laughs) Like I have very strong opinions about what kinds of books I like the best. He will literally just read what's there. I suspect if there was nothing there, he would just be reading the back of the shampoo bottle. Like (laughs) just going to read it. He came to visit us here in Prague a couple of years ago and didn't bring a book, which like that makes my heart flutter in my chest. The idea that you would get on a plane and go to another country and not have a book in your hands. <laughs> but he didn't have a book with him. And I was like, what can I lend you? And he said, Jane Eyre is your favorite book. Why don't you give me Jane Eyre? So I gave him Jane Which, Eyre. It just seemed like an incredible stretch for a guy who's 70, small town, extrovert, like way, way out of his field. Yes. Sure. Well, and the reason he wanted to read it, which is is so sweet, is because he knows it's my favorite book and he devoured it. I mean, he finished it in two days. That thing is almost 600 pages and they are dense because Charlotte Bronte liked to write really wordy, long paragraphs. Um, but anyway, my dad always had books around, even though he was not particularly picky about them. And my best friend when I was small and throughout high school is named Renee and her mom was a voracious reader and they had stacks of books everywhere in their house. And we just passed things back and forth. I'm very introverted. So I really love to hide out in my room with a book and go places in my imagination. And that continues to this day. Uh, They did another study uh, right around 2003 And it was estimated 20% of American adults in the United States uh, read for pleasure. And a lot of people think that uh, one of the primary factors in that is is Oprah Winfrey. She just encouraged people to read, you know, and they were like, oh, Oprah, I mean, if Oprah said, and now we, you know, kill all the squirrels, people would probably do it. But she did, you know, she helped, uh, she helped do that. Uh, But people do read actually more now. That's people reading books. People are reading the internet. You read it. It's not just all pictures and TikTok. I mean, there's a lot of text there. Uh, So people are, in fact, reading uh, more than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yep. Uh, So I got to ask, Kindle or no Kindle? Mm, I'm glad you asked. I love my Kindle. Yeah. Mel used to be strongly against the Kindle, like strongly. Like, do not show me that thing. I never want to see that. I had one because I'm a geek and I'm a tech geek. So uh, I got one because it was fascinating and I, you know, had geek coveting. And this is probably uh, like 2009. Yeah. Yeah. I got one and Mel would not. No, mm, hard pass. Yes. And then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Then what happened is that we planned a six week trip to Prague and Croatia. And I realized there was no way I could bring enough 
enough books to sustain that trip. And Dave had a cast off hand-me-down Kindle. By this time I was in my second Kindle. Mm -hmm. So I took the hand-me-down just to use on the trip, thought I would give it a try. And by the time we got home, I was hooked because one, you don't have to figure out what you want to read on your trip because you're taking every book with you. Yeah, I have 300 books. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't have to know what kind of mood you're going to be in. You don't have to worry that I bought this new book and what if I don't like it because you have your whole library with you. you. Leave the book on the plane. Right. I've done that. It's horrible. I love the light on the Kindle. I generally wake up in the middle of the night for a little while. And so I can read without waking Dave up and I can make the light on the Kindle really dim. So it's very cozy. And now that we're doing Strong Sense of Place, being able to highlight passages and quotes and then dump them off onto the computer is incredibly helpful. I also love that you can look up words. The dictionary function and the connection to Wikipedia is super helpful. Again, especially now that we're reading books set in countries all over the world and in different time periods, you know, I don't always know 19th century vocabulary. All of that said, though, there are a ton of books and we have a bunch that do not work on the Kindle. Yeah. The Wall by Peter Siss is not going to work on a Kindle. It's not even going to work on the iPad full color right. reader. You actually want to have that as a physical object in your hands, enjoying it as mm-hmm. an object. I mean, the book itself has texture, you know, uh, and it's got spot color and it's got, you know, it's got a feel to it that there's no way you can get that in a Kindle. I will also say that even though we read primarily on the Kindle, when we travel, we always go to English language bookstores and buy a bunch of books. And then sometimes we get home, I buy them on the Kindle too, (laughs) so that I can read them. So I have, you know, in my bookshelf, I can see the books that I bought as my souvenirs from different places that we visited. But when it actually comes time to read them, I read them usually on the Kindle. And buying books and reading books are two different hobbies, you know? Well, and it's really important to support bookstores. Yeah. it's. I mean, I love to visit bookshops and we need to support them. And I'm happy to double buy a book to do that. Now, your most recent episode is about Greece. Uh, it's your 30th, I think you said. Is that right? 32nd. And then we've done a few minis, but yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And I have to say, personally, I am not very often a fan of podcasts that have sort of this kind of like, hey, it's a couple of people sitting around being personalities. I don't like those podcasts, but I like yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you guys have hit this balance. I think it's the balance that a lot of these people, because um, there are so many podcasts now, and a lot of people just kind of like, hey, I'll just start a podcast. But they don't have anything to say. They don't have any structure to it. And it's, you know, it's very often like, hey, we're two guys and we get stoned and we talk about shoes, you know, or whatever the hell it is. And I know their friends think they're funny, but I'm not your friend and I don't think you're funny. But you guys really f- find a way to balance meat and and it's like there's a there's a sandwich but also a milkshake if you know what i mean like <laughs> uh thanks that's yeah. like the best compliment ever yeah it is yeah thanks. The hamburger and the milkshake how much work goes into this because it's it's i mean it must take up a huge amount of your time Yes, it does. Uh, it's about a two-week process to produce one, and it's pretty full-time. And that doesn't include reading. <laughs> 
So there's the first week where we're sort of writing the script. And there's also a fairly robust website that goes with this whole thing. So the first week we are writing the script and talking about what we're going to talk about. And then on Friday or Monday of that week, we'll record. And then I spend the rest of the week cutting that together and putting in music and effects and that kind of thing. And Mel spends the rest of that week writing articles for the website to support the things that we're talking about. So yeah, it's a full-time gig. Now you guys also do a transcription, which I happen to know is a lot of work. How, how does that work? Are you using a machine transcription program and then correcting it or... Are you just throwing it up as is, or how does that work? We use Sonics. The transcription falls into my to-do list, and Sonics does a pretty good job with the machine translation. Um, and then I go through it and clean up punctuation and author names and anything that is kind of wonky. I tested six different options before I landed on Sonics. Sonics does really well with names and grammar and punctuation, but it for some reason doesn't differentiate very well between when David and I are speaking. So I often have to go in and break apart the sentences because things that I've said have been ascribed to him. And the funniest thing, we've started keeping track of these now to share them at some point. The funniest thing is that it never, ever properly translates two truths and a lie. And the things that it gives us back are very, very like, funny. You know, Tuesdays and some fries, <laughs> you know, uh, Toulouse and the tries. It's this really weird combination of words that you're like, why, yeah. why little computer? But it's kind of delightful too. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I like that. That's, that should be your, like when you write a book about making the podcast, that's the title. <laughs> <laughs> The transcript is also when I actually get to listen to the podcast because Dave is making all of the edits and it's really fun to be like, oh, he made me sound way smarter. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks, babe. That's that's why I married him. <laughs> I also take out jokes at my expense, so it, it all works out. He takes out all of my good jokes. I think that I'm hilarious and he takes out all of my good jokes. <laughs> Because apparently I'm not hilarious. <laughs> what made you decide to do the transcript? Is it for SEO purposes? Is it so that, you know, say there are non-native English speakers, it'll be easy for them to just translate it? I'm glad you asked me that question. We were not planning from the beginning to do a transcript. I kind of had it in the back of my mind that we would need to do it eventually because we don't want to be exclusive. And it seemed like if we were going to do a podcast where one of our goals was to enhance people's empathy, we couldn't exclude people who don't hear but it seemed like just another thing that we were going to have to think about when we were launching. So I kind of had it in the back of my mind that eventually we would have to do that. And then there's this really great author named Sarah Novick, who I follow on Twitter. And she wrote the book, Girl at War, which is about an American girl returning to Croatia after the war in the 90s to kind of dig into her family history. And it's a really, really good book. And she is also a, a writer about baseball. The author, Sarah Novick, also writes about baseball, which I found really fascinating. She loves baseball. Anyway, she is deaf. And she tweeted one day about how frustrating it is for her because her friends will tell her about a podcast that they love. And then she goes to get the transcript and there isn't one. And that punched me right in my guts because 
I knew we should be doing it. I wasn't prepared to do it right away, but then here's this author who I really admire. And I was like, how many other people like her are going to feel left out? That's terrible. As a human, I can't do that to another human. So we added the transcript into our to-do list associated with each podcast. And now, of course, we've heard from people who use it because they just want to know what books we talked about (laughs) and they don't want to listen to the whole show, which is fine. Um, I have no idea if anyone else who is deaf uses it, but it felt like the right thing to do. And here we are. It takes me maybe about two hours, two and a half hours, depending on how many corrections I have to make. But I will also say that I'm correcting it the way I would correct you know, an essay. <laughs> I want all the punctuation right. I want the M dashes because once I start, I can't stop. I think you could probably do it faster if you were less picky than I am. Uh, and that's always interesting to see editing what are known as spoken texts. Uh, is always interesting because the way that we speak is not the way we write. And so, you know, you're like, okay, so this sentence starts and stops six times. I used an ellipsis. I used a dash. I've used parentheses. I've used commas. Uh, now what? <laughs> semicolon. Uh, and you'd hope some editor doesn't look at it and go, mm, that was a poorly used semicolon right there. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned it's a rather robust website, and it is a very robust website. Like, if you scroll down, and you've you've organized the pages in such a way so that, you know, if I want to just go to the Grease episode, for example, the Hollywood episode, I can scroll down, and you've got images of the books that you talk about in there. So I can just very quickly, if that's the only thing I care about, I can just get that information, bing, bang, boom, I'm in, I'm out. Or there's a ton more stuff, depending on how deeply I want to dive in. You know, you've got this, but you have over 200 blog uh, posts on various topics, sometimes recipes, uh, the Prague one, you've got uh, travel guides that you thought were interesting, including Secret Prague, which is one of my favorites. Yes. And Atlas Obscura, you know, you mentioned Atlas Obscura, which is awesome. But there is a lot in here. So, I mean, it's way more than just... Okay, we're probably going to read these books, you know, some false starts there. Uh, that book sucks. I don't want to read it. Or it's it could be said anywhere. It's not really about the place we're talking about. Uh, you read all the books. You kind of come up with the script, record it, edit it, do the music, do the transcript. And then you have all this other stuff on top of it all. I mean, it's just an astonishing amount of work, it seems, because it's so rich and, and deep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Dave and I come from a web background. He started on the engineering side. I was always on the creative writing side and throughout our careers, we've done creative projects that kind of land in different buckets. In our previous life, we were cookbook authors and we produced a series of cookbooks where he did the photography and I did the writing. And then because we have this web background, we did all of the online marketing and strong sense of place is kind of the culmination of all the things we know how to do. And all of the projects that I've done in my life independently have been because I get really excited about something and I need to tell other people about it. And that's what happens on the website. Like we keep trying to come up with ways to minimize how much content I'm writing because it's so much work. But then I get really excited about the interesting 
library in Japan and I have to talk about it. I can't stop once I get started because the world is a fascinating place. And the way I kind of process the things that I'm learning is to write about them. I mean, what we didn't talk about yet is that when I'm writing the the beginning part of each show is the 101 about the place. And I probably write, I don't know, 4,000 words to get down to the 800 that I actually speak in the show because for me to process it and understand it, I have to write about it first. Yeah. We're bananas over here. Okay. We're just over here in this flat. We got nowhere to go. (laughs) I've already taken my morning walk and here I am with my keyboard and my imagination. It's interesting. You said that you wrote cookbooks. You guys, you wrote a lot of cookbooks. It's all paleo stuff. You even, you even were a major contributor to the Living Paleo for Dummies book. The thing that was fascinating about doing that project is that I had a full-time corporate job while we were making the cookbooks. And then the first cookbook came out, it's called Well-Fed and it did very well. And I realized I could quit my full-time job, but I was nervous. So I got this contract to do a dummies book. And as a writer, that was a really interesting experience because they have those so well codified and figured out that they supply a word template and the formatting drives the content. So it was a pretty easy book to write because you're just plugging in the, you know, a bulleted list goes here. This is two paragraphs of introduction. This kind of information goes in sidebars. Mm-hmm. And the first chapter is 10 reasons why you want to do this. Yeah. I mean, it was basically the word template is holding your hand through the writing process. And because I came from web development, I was kind of used to thinking about writing that way anyway, you know, structuring versus just writing prose. But it was amazing to get that document and be like, wow. They have reduced this to a science. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I was the author, kind of. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting experience. Uh, and I, the other thing, I mean, you, you were talking about how, uh, you know, one of your favorite authors writes these books, but also about baseball. You've also written two books about roller derby. Yes, I did. I wrote <laughs> Roller Girl, Totally True Tales from the Track, which is my personal experiences with the resurgence of roller derby in the early 2000s and our experience starting the Texas Roller Girls in Austin. So you 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 were a you were a player. I was malicious number 11 on the Hot Rod Honeys. I took all of the all of the time I spent roller skating when I was 11 to 13 and then when I was like 35 or 36 discovered roller derby and played a team sport for the first time in my life. The thing that was cool about roller derby is that I am not really an assertive person. I would say before roller derby, I was not always an assertive person. And one of the things that was cool about playing roller derby and playing a team sport was that I just really learned not to care that much if people liked me or not. And like, it took me until I was in my late thirties to get there and roller derby really helped because there's so many different kinds of people who play. And I realized at one point, like the mean girls don't like me. Awesome. (laughs) It's like, that's awesome. She doesn't like me and I don't have to care. I just have to knock her down. Fantastic. Here's my elbow. Let me introduce you to the audience. But like, you know, for a a bookish girl who played classical piano her whole life, like that was a whole new thing. It was very freeing. What's the reading app list? You call it super cool reading fun. We wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to 
offer something that people could kind of have on their desktop to remind them how much they love books and travel. So it's a collection of audiobooks with a very strong sense of place, series books that take you around the world. And we actually have a round the world tour in 13 books. So moving from continent to continent around the globe and everything on our website, everything in the podcast, everything in the reading atlas, we have read. We read every word before we recommend a book. So you can feel confident that they're going to be good reads. So some of the places you've talked about, you've talked about uh, Prague and Scotland and Morocco and Sweden. You've got one on the Arctic. Uh, you're going to do one on the Antarctic, which is, to, of course, a separate continent. Obviously, at the Mountains of Madness, H.P. Lovecraft, that's got to be in there. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. But then you also have these thematic ones as well. You've got the circus. You've got the sea. You've got trains. You've got the library. You've got a Halloween episode. Uh, and the newsroom as well, and then Hollywood, which is a place and a sort of a concept as well. Uh, do you think you'll be expanding out in addition to trying to cover, uh, what was it, every country and every state <laughs> sometime before you you know, are no longer able to use your fingers to type? In addition, you're doing all these abstract uh, categories as well. Yeah. 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 I expect this project's going to take us uh, longer than we have, but uh, I, I really love the theme episodes because, you know, you sit down and read a stack of books about restaurants and you never see restaurants quite the same way again. It changes the way that, that you experience the thing. And the same thing happened with when you read books about the forest or thought about the state of the newsroom. Now it changes your day to day. I think more so than our location specific episodes. We have heated conversations about the themes because our rule is the theme has to be a place you can visit except for holidays, which we make special exceptions for. But that means that, you know, I might want to read books featuring governesses, for example. Right. But because that's not a place you can visit, that will not be one of our themes. Do you think uh, somewhere down, obviously not now because we're still in it, but uh, uh, out of this time period that we're in with COVID and lockdowns and, and all these other things going on, we're already starting to see some uh, music and filmed entertainments uh, coming out of this period that are about this period. I'm pretty sure we're going to see this in the world of literature as well. Uh, do you think that'll end up, you know, I don't know, 2026 or something that'll end up being one of your thematic episodes? COVID lockdown, the theme. I actually made a list the other day of apocalypse novels because there are some really good, like we could probably do this now. There's of course the beloved Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Dave and I just read Termination Shock by Neil Stevenson, which would definitely fit into that episode. There's a fantastic book called The Sentence by Louise Erdrich that is set during the pandemic and in Minneapolis during the Black Lives Matter protests. And the whole thing takes place in a bookshop. And she has written herself into the book as a character. Like the whole thing is fascinating, but it's a really, really good read. There's a ghost involved. It kind of starts out sounding like it's going to be a sort of genre book. It's a ghost story set in a bookstore and it is, but it's about so much more than that. It was really, really good. 
Um, the last one that I want to mention is Our Country Friends by Gary Steingart. It's set in March 2020. So just at the beginning of when the pandemic was starting. And it's kind of a kooky, blackly funny, but also in some hearts, very sad novel about a Russian born author and his Russian born wife there in the United States. And they have a house in upstate New York and they invite a bunch of people to come and quarantine with them. And it's just about the weirdness that was March 2020 and what these disparate people talk about and goofy things they do as they're hiding out in this house in upstate New York. All right. Top of the head. Don't think about it too hard. Favorite book you read in 2021. Go. Oh, so easy. I got it. The Kingdoms by Natasha Pulley. Really? I didn't like it. Oh, no. Really? I love her. I love her work. And I don't like time travel stories. And I just love that book. Do you ever do this where you like, you know, you tell somebody your favorite book and they go, oh, I hated that book. And you go, huh, huh, I don't think we're going to be friends anymore. That's one of actually my favorite things about talking to people about books when I love a book and they don't. I love that. Like we both read the same story and had really different experiences of it. And that is so cool. My favorite book of the year was a book I read for our Afghanistan episode. It's called Games Without Rules. It's a history of Afghanistan. It was written by um, Tamim Ansari. I love that book because it is a combination of history and storytelling that I found really compelling. It is very much that vibe of, again, sitting in a bar and talking to the guy next to you. And he says, well, if you really want to know about Afghanistan, and he tells you these stories that are just fantastic, that interlock and you understand why Afghanistan is so difficult um, for so many people. And he just did a great job of just kind of building the argument story after story and telling the story like we're old friends and he injects himself a little bit into the narrative. And it was just, uh, I found it a really compelling read. My favorite book of the year was Hell of a Book, which just won the National Book Award, which is just a, a, an astonishingly good book. Like there was a time... I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where I kind of realized that there are two things that are true. One is that the story that you tell yourself is, it is your truth, right? That is your truth. And the other thing is the story that you tell yourself could very well be a lie, you know? And so both of those things are true at the same time, somehow, that the flexibility of narrative is intriguing and dangerous and <laughs> often more truthful than uh than what actually happens there's a, <laughs> i watched this great documentary a while ago about filmmaking and the narrator started by saying that steven spielberg shot d-day uh, for saving private ryan on the beaches of ireland and then he says he's telling you a lie so he can tell you the truth <laughs> it's like yeah he really is <laughs> Well, you know, we, we humans, this is what we do. I think this is the big differentiator is we, we tell stories. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. All right. Fascinating stuff. Obviously, we could talk about this stuff all day. And I know I say that every episode, but gosh darn it, I mean it. 
for those of you who are readers or for those of you who are travelers or for those of you who love podcasts or for those of you where all three of those intersect, Strong Sense of Place is certainly tailor-made for you. I'd like to thank my guests, Melissa Jolwan and David Humphreys, writers, illustrators, photographers, podcasters, lockdown victims, and and uh, Prague residents and expatriates. Uh, thank you very much for talking to me today, guys. Uh, super interesting, stimulating stuff. Thank you so much. That was a, It was a real pleasure to talk to you. I am always happy to talk about books, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times.